The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Uh, we have been going through this series, as I was mentioning, about intimacy with God and leads to intimacy with one another, and we titled it We. Uh, we have gone through the Lord's Prayer, which we walked through six, the six petitions, and then the, law, the last part in which emphasized forgiving uh, one another. And what that was doing for many of us, and what we've seen in us, is that we can take each petition and we can pray, but then also it helps us to pray these prayers together. That's why every week we try to pray the Lord's Prayer together, to emphasize that, and so we can memorize, and the Lord's Prayer becomes... Uh, a part of our daily and um, uh, a part of our, our intercessory prayer time in our own time. But now as we enter into the Ten Commandments, what I want you guys to know is that this sermon actually, or these, this sermon series actually does the same thing, but it's dealing with the law. I just want to give you a heads up. I will be using interchangeably the words law, word, uh, and commandments. And the reason being is because when you look at the language, when it talks about the Ten Commandments, uh, in the Septuagint, you would see it as the Decalogue. And, uh, and, but scholars would say these are words, and they are. They're the words of God. And we will get to that. So you will hear me use interchangeably law, word, and commandments simply because I want us to understand that God's word, his law, his commands are good to us and they're not just do's and don'ts. Uh, and these also help govern our relationships with God. That's the first four commandments. They govern our relationship with God, how we interact with him. But the, six, the next six commandments actually govern our relationship with one another, how we love each other, loving our neighbor, not committing adultery, not murdering, not, uh, not stealing, etc. And so as we walk through this series, we will emphasize how we ought to in our society and as a community function by worshiping our God while at the same time loving and caring for one another. Uh, many folks put the cross perspective of cross-shaped relationships or gospel relationships. We're saying we have the vertical emphasis with man and God and then we have the horizontal emphasis which is man to man. So we will get into that as we dive into our first commandment. Before we do, can we uh, pray together? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your commands. We thank you for your law, which governs us, which gives us the ability to, to find our freedom. It gives us the ability to find care and to know that we are well thought of by a God that is always making provisions for us. So we ask, Lord Jesus, that your word become alive to us, that it resonates with our minds and our hearts, and it also saturates the way that we live life. And it, for those that have not been transformed by the power of your word, I pray that it transforms them by the renewal of their minds. And Lord Jesus, hide me beneath your cross. Allow me, Lord Jesus, to speak the words that you have given me to speak and not words of my own self. And I pray, Jesus, as I do hide behind beneath your cross, that you are then glorified, you are increased as I decrease. We pray these words knowing that you're God, that it can answer them, and you're God that is mighty to do so. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. In his TED Talk, 
the paradox of choice, secular psychologist Barry Schwartz, he claims that many of us live by this unspoken but official dogma that maximizing your happiness by maximizing your individual freedom. Maximize your happiness by maximizing your individual freedom. And according to Schwartz, the way to maximize freedom is to maximize choice. As he had gone through his TED talk, he had told a, a towards the end, a story and given a picture of two fish in a fishbowl. And he said this, He said, the truth of the matter is that if you scatter, if you shatter the fishbowl so that everything is possible, you don't have freedom. If you shatter the fishbowl so that everything is possible, you don't have freedom. You have paralysis. If you shatter the fishbowl so that everything is possible, you decrease satisfaction. Everybody needs a fishbowl. The absence of of some metaphorical fishbowl is the recipe for misery and I suspect disaster. I think he was right. And I know that he was right because when we look at the Ten Commandments, many of us can say that it is our fishbowl. The Word of God is our fishbowl. It governs us. If we don't have this, we are hopeless. Uh, Remember sitting in uh, just... uh, a group the, uh, a couple weeks ago, and we were asking uh, in our equip hour, we were talking about uh, hopeless and where does ho- hopelessness and where does hope come from? And we understand if we don't have we don't have hope in Christ, hope is nothing. It's meaningless, and we need it because it actually gives us something to long for, something to look forward to. But see, many of us have experienced the Ten Commandments being used as do's and don'ts. Only in the context of regulations that only govern our lives as to our behaviors, which we feel limited or robbed of our freedom. However, I want to point out that this is the wrong understanding of the Ten Commandments. Because these words from the Lord actually provides guidance, provides freedom. Thus, this is what I want you to understand. That since we have this, since experiencing God's saving power, you know what we must do? It's simple, saints. We must, rep, we must worship God alone. That's what the first command tells us. To worship Him alone. It's, it's because of His saving power that Israel can worship Him alone. It's because they've been rescued out of bondage. They can worship Him alone. And so the words that they hear from God are words of liberation. They are not words that cause them to conform and feel held in bondage and cannot have any freedom due to the God that they know. No, it changes. And thus this gets to our first point. And our first point is, since experiencing God's saving power, I want you to hear this. That we are liberated by His Word. Now first I want to just do a little bit of work in terms of what I, dealing with the aspect of how many of us have experienced the Ten Commandments or the Word of God being a, used in the context of do's and don'ts. I know that gets to many of us feeling as if I have to be justified by not sleeping with any other, I'm justified by not sleeping with any other person. I'm justified by simply the way that I interact and, and care and, and am concerned about the other individual. I'm justified in the fact of being socially aware 
aware of the justice issues. And, and this is where I, I find that I'm also justified by this law, by these words, by these com- commandments. And I, I want you to, to rest and be at ease because I want you to know that you're not justified by any law. You're only justified by what Christ has done. See, the law is used, and Calvin helps us with this. There are three uses of the law. It's civil, uh, it's pedagogical, and it, and it is instructional. You, you, you can see that the civil law, actually, what it means, and what it means for, what it means for us, it gives us governance as a human society. Without the civil law, then we can do whatever we want. We can, we cannot have order, and we would have chaos. We would have destruction. We're prone for evil, and prone to do evil, thus we would do so. Many of us who think that we are good naturally because we may be socially aware or we may simply treat our neighbor or we give our money to certain uh, certain ministries or certain charities, we may feel as if I am a good person. And I want to assure you the fact that you're not good on your own efforts. It is only what Christ has done. And you will hear me reiterate that because it's deep in our hearts that we don't see that God reveals his character to us through his law while simultaneously revealing our deep need for him. Because his character is perfect and he is holy, he reveals our unholiness. Not that we may be distraught, but that we may have freedom. That we may be liberated by his word. Now, I know I say this every week. And I, it's proper protocol, but sometimes I get into preaching, and then next thing you know, I feel like I'm all by myself. Many of y'all know what I'm about to say. Some of y'all may not know what I'm about to say. Thank you. A brother like me, just like three or four amens. And like I say every time, if I'm not preaching to you, come up and slap me. Okay? But, but, but the reality is that the civil law helps us with understanding and demonstrating how we ought to live with one another. And then the pedagogical law, it leads us to faith in Christ. The law shows us what's demanded and against what image we see and how far we've fallen short of ourselves. And so it teaches us and we are, we're governed by its teaching, by the Christ teaching and his rule. You can see a picture of this through the Sermon of the Mount. And then you also have the law's use of instruction which is its primary use for the Christian it is the law that is meant to shape our walk in response to Christ's forgiveness and this is important for us because we can see the civil which we particularly will uh, understand the Ten Commandments to be under as the use of the law but we can also see the instructional aspect of it as well why do we need to know that It is not for parents to use this on your children. As they walk into stores and tell them, I will be instructional by teaching you the civil ways that I will spank you if you touch something that you're not supposed to touch. I feel like my mother used that several times when we would go in the store. She would say, when we get in this store, you bet not touch nothing. I thought it was better not, but she said bet not. That emphasized something totally different. The reality is, the reality is, beloved, that... This is not a list of do's and don'ts. The reason I explain the three uses of the law and and emphasizing the fact of how how we are justified because I want to disavow ourselves from the thought that we have to practice something in order to find liberty. That is not it. What the path of justification gives us is that God's perfect righteousness was imputed to us, given to us. In so much as we hear his words, his law, his commandments as loving words, as caring words, expressing 
to us his deep love and affection. Therefore, we then express in response gratitude, praise, and thanks continually to a God that always makes himself known to us. So essentially, this law drives us to appreciate God, to appreciate Christ as a gift and an example to all of us. Even in a society where we're rewarded to keep rules. I often do it with my son and sometimes I hate that I do it. If you do this, then you will get this. I have to try to disavow myself of always having his behavior be predicated upon a reward. Because then I will try to lead him to understand that it's not your behavior that only needs to be changed. It's what you understand as a belief system. It's your foundation. It's your values. It's your principles. And that is what we hold on here. The rules and the standards that God sets for us are rules and standards. Not so that we can just keep them because we cannot keep them. In fact, I would rather say that the law keeps us. It keeps us from fornicating. It keeps us from stealing. It keeps us from coveting. It keeps us from envy. It keeps us from hating our brother and sister. It keeps us from not holding grudges. It keeps us from not simply trying to take from someone else. So it keeps us from, from not bypassing injustices. It keeps us aware. The law keeps us. God keeps us. We can't keep the law. So why do we know? Why, why, why do you know? that? Why, so why is it important to know? That God is liberating us by his word. Why is that important to know? The reason that this is important to know is because it brings comfort, it brings order, and it brings joy. It brings comfort, it brings order, and it brings joy. First of all, we see that it brings a level of comfort when you look at verse 1. Where it says, where God says, and God spoke, uh, and Moses is writing, and God spoke all these words saying... And this is a definitive, definitive statement because many of us can only look at Moses being the mediator and the representative, representative to God's people between Israel and God. But God in this particular situation is speaking himself. It is God talking directly to the people of Israel. It is not Moses speaking to them. And the Bible makes it more clear that Moses didn't write the commandments. It was the finger of God. When we look at Exodus 31 and 18, that had wrote the commandments. Why is that? And we can just preach a whole sermon on the finger of God and how he reads that. But amen, somebody. It, it, it's, it should be clear to us that then if God wrote this love letter, so to speak, let's just say it that way. Then we understand what God is saying. This, uh, this is not a collection of laws. This, uh, these aren't a collection of rules. But this is a personal touch. This is my personal voice. This is me talking Yahweh to my people. Uh, Why does God want to make it so personal? Why does God want to talk to us? Why does he want to reveal himself to his people? Because no other God could do that. No other God could make himself a God that talks directly to his people. Those gods were mute. Those gods had no power. Those gods had no authority. And what God is saying here is that I want to speak to my people because even though you may be unsure of who I am, you will know my voice. 
even though that you may be unsure of who I am, you know it was my hands that parted the Red Sea. My touch. God is a personal God. He brings comfort when we know this. And God is able, and what what that does for us today is we know that God revealing himself goes beyond the fact of just taking words or taking laws and commands. But it's saying he's trying to speak to us. Because some of us have been abused by God's word. Some of us have been instructed in such a way that you can't stand to pick up a Bible. I remember telling y'all about when I read The Disinherited Jesus by Dr. Howard Thurman, who in part of that book, what he had said was that his grandmother, who had came off a plantation, said that she didn't want him to read any of the Pauline epistles because that's what they read to her in slavery. There are people who have been torn and abused by God's word. But I want to say, beloved, that this word is not to be used as a weapon to tear down people. It's a word that is used to comfort people. It instructs us, it does. But most of all, it comforts us. Unlike any self-help book. Unlike any extra biblical material that we've seen written, you can't find comfort in any other man's words. You can only find comfort in God's words. So it brings comfort. It brings order. And we see that it brings order because we know that God rules and he reigns over the universe. By his word and by his law. This is important and evident by nature. The sun hasn't fallen out of the sky. The earth hasn't fallen off its axle. The ocean hasn't overcome the entire earth and swallowed all of us up. There is something by God's providential authority holding everything intact. We need that law. We need that order. We need that rule. And we know that even when it came to there was nothing, God brought order to chaos by his, what? Word. Uh, I don't mean to bore y'all, but I mean, when you, when you think about it, 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 it brings us this, this level of comfort, but it also helps us to understand the order from the simple fact that because the earth is plagued by sin, then even the earth groans for this liberty. Look at, look at Romans 8.22 where he says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. This groaning points to the desire that not only do we need liberation, but also all of creation desires liberation from sin. Mike, what are you trying to say? what, What I'm trying to say, beloved, is that creation, us, God's word, it gives us order. And it governs our lives. And we can't move outside of that. We need that to be the fishbowl for us. Because if you were to think about the atoms, the particles, the molecules, if you were to simply think about gravity, you you would not even think or consider how your chairs are being held up now without understanding that God has brought order. If we were to all leave out of this place right now or drive somewhere else, you would be on I-55 or I-40 or you would be on 240 and there were no medians, there were no stop signs, there were anything, no speed limits. I know some of us struggle with speed limits, amen. Uh, some of us struggle with, uh, with cutting people off too, but, but I'm not talking about that. And we, you know, you, you, may, you may think this is New York or Chicago, but this is Memphis and people do drive crazy. 
But seriously, can you imagine driving in the midst of chaos? We have, we have laws, we have things in order, in order to protect us, in order to keep this individual in his lane and this individual in their lane so that we won't cause chaos. We, we can drive safely and we all desire that order because that order of liberty, that order of safety gives us liberty. And I'm going to get to that because oftentimes safety become an idol. But when we understand this, we see God's divine order changes it. Because here it is, Israel, who is under the authority of Pharaoh, comes from under the authority of him, and now is under the authority of God. Divine order leaves room for speculation. But even when it comes to science and philosophy, as Christians, we have to trust and believe that God's word, his word, brings order. But not only does it bring comfort, it brings order, but it also brings joy. Why does it bring joy? Well, the psalmist lets us know, lets us know that in Psalm 119, that what is it that can make a young man's ways pure? It, it, it's the word of God. It's the law. We know from Josh, Joshua 1 and 8 that he meditates on the law day and night in order that he may be prosperous, that he may be successful because he believes it's good. But then we also see that in Psalm 119 and 3 that God's word is sweeter than a honeycomb. How sweet are your words to my taste? Sweeter than a honey on my mouth. I can hear Rance Allen singing right now. Uh, this. Yeah, I don't know if y'all remember that. And uh, 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 the Kirk Franklin version. But, 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 but it is sweet to us. And it brings us joy. And he has, made, he has made it particularly for his people to enjoy. Do you see that? Well, how is that? Because when you look at verse 2, he's using similar language to chapter 19 where he says, I am the Lord your God. Your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This text actually helps us to see when he is saying this, you are my treasured possession. You are a kingdom of priests, literally meaning priestly kings. And you are a holy nation. So Israel, the people of God, go from slavery to royalty. They go from slavery to royalty because they are no longer in bondage of the Pharaoh, a self-proclaimed divinity. They go to being under divine deliverance from a God who is the one and true God. And this is evidence because the joy that they exclaim comes from, uh, from actually from Exodus 15, where they are proclaiming the fact that you are God and you are God alone. Why is that important? Because there were so many gods that they had right before them that they were worshiping that were in Egypt and was not the true God. So this God says, not, you don't have to do anything for me. These aren't just do's and don'ts, but I want you to hear this. You aren't just delivered, but you're my people. And you're not just my people, but you're my treasure possession. Now the Holy Ghost is helping me right now because I know that so many of us have been beaten, bruised, and afflicted by Christians. We have been beaten, bruised, and afflicted by Christians. So we don't feel like treasured possessions. We don't feel like a kingdom of priests. There's no way I want to enter these doors and feel like it's a holy nation because I've been judged by the words, by the commands, by the law. 
someone's told me that I, 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 I'm supposed to act a particular way. Only changing my behavior. I, I, I help a couple young brothers. And some, I talk over the phone a lot. Because they're around the, the, the country. And so, one young man, and I know him because I used to teach a Sunday school class when I was in St. Louis. And he was just like, Mike, I'm trying to stop drinking. I'm trying to stop having sex with, with, with random girls. And I'm, try, I'm trying to change my life. And I said, listen, you can stop having sex. You can stop drinking. And you can stop smoking a little weed, too. You can stop doing all of that. But it doesn't change that you've been changed. It doesn't change the fact that you haven't actually been changed. See, after growing up in church, he felt like I just had to do all of these different things. But I want to tell you, if you grew up as a preacher kid, or if you grew up in church, or if you've been abused or afflicted, I want to tell you that you're treasured. That you're precious. That you're royalty. Not because I believe it, but because God says it. And this is what Israel had to to hold on to because when they were delivered, you can only imagine these were people who may have felt like I had no place to go. I had no place to be and so it felt more comfortable where, yes, I was in bondage, but I had a place to be. You may remember when Israel was out in the wilderness and God didn't drop men out of the sky yet or they just got tired of the men and said, well, I want to go back to Egypt. Can you imagine that? How many of us have gone into the wilderness knowing that God is with you but want to go back to bondage because you don't know who you are you don't realize that you're treasured you don't realize that you're a kingdom of priests you don't realize that you're a holy nation I want to take a brief pause again because I think that in today's society and where we are socially so many of us and the Christian church has been abused Yes, the church has abused, but it also has been abused. You can see it in the news. You can see it in the media. You can see it when people find out that you're a Christian and they don't want to talk to you. They don't want to associate with who you are. It's not for us to be afraid of who we are. It's for us to embrace that. Because what God is saying, and he said, he's saying directly to us, and we see it pictured in Israel. We were delivered from slavery of sin and death becoming slaves to righteousness. What greater joy should we have? And I want you to notice something. That we're not liberated so that we can have autonomy. So that we can just do our own thing. We're not liberated so that we can just live on our own, but we're liberated so that we may, be li- that we may live in God's economy. In his theonomy. That is, which in order it brings us so much joy in the fact that we don't have to do it ourselves. That it's not us sustaining it, but God sustaining it. It's not us controlling it, but He's controlling it. It's not our sovereignty, but it's His sovereignty. What joy should that bring, beloved? It's a joy that causes us to worship Him. And that leads us into our next point. That we are to worship Him simply because God's saying that you are, He is God and God all by Himself. Look at verse 3 where He says, You shall have no other gods before Me. This commandment makes it clear that God is jealous and He does not and will not share the worship due His name with no other God. Do you remember when Joshua said in Joshua 24 and 15, For me and my house, I will serve the Lord? Well, that was because the Israelites were still holding on to gods that they were worshiping alongside of worshiping God. 
This is why he says in particular in verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Which literally means in my face. Or literally means beside me. Because what was happening was, soon as they were getting to the land, Joshua said, wait a minute. Will y'all put all the other gods away? Will you disavow yourselves of those gods and worship the one true God? And the reason being is because for me and my house, we know God. If you believe worshiping this Lord, this Yahweh is evil, then you continue on. But what we are going to do, we're going to worship the Lord. And you can, you know that the Israelites were this way because you look at Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 14, where God is commanding them to leave their idolatrous practices. They enter, he says, when you enter into the land, the Lord your God is giving you, uh, is, is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of their nations, which were child sacrifices and divination, sorcery, witchcraft, consulting the deaf, I mean the dead, etc. Why were Israel doing this after they had all Already proclaimed that he was God alone it's because they had no right understanding what it meant to worship the one true God and that's important for us because we know today John frame says this he says today in this day and time we are living at a time when worshiping the worship of false idols abound although we may not worship Baal or Moloch or, uh, or, or, or Ashtoreth we may not worship all of these different gods we still have Allah and, and we still have the, the, the uh, uh, we still have other gods in our own context that have found themselves to be deities in our context and what it means this is what he says directly and of course the modern world has has developed many substitute gods, uh, God substitutes that tempt people for sacrifice. Uh, I mean, to forsake their Creator. Excuse me, I'm sweating so bad. See, Louise, I need one of towels. But, but, but I want you to I want you to hear what he's saying. Because he's saying there's so many different things that we may we may worship. It may not be the God, the goddess. Of of um, of of sex, right? Or the god of sex, which is which of fertility, fertility, which was Baal. But it surely is living in a society now, especially when you listen to the music, when you when you look at the TV. It's the god of sex that we're still worshiping. What gods are we worshiping? Is it the god of, of, of is it the god of safety? Is it the god of security? Is it the god of money? Is it the, is it the god of pleasure? And see, I, I think that. Oftentimes we put sex in just a simple bad context. Sex is good. It's given to us by God. And, and God loves that we have sex. But I want you to know that the fact of the matter is, is not that you can't simply have, not have sex. You need to have sex in the context of marriage. I, I know, I know, Mike, it's hard. It's hard to be out here by myself. I don't have nobody. I feel alone. You got God. That's why he says he wants to be your God. He he doesn't want to have any other gods beside him. Recreational sex out of the context of marriage, it means you're worshiping another God. I'm going to boil it down just a little bit closer. I know so many of us, we all go on vacations. And 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 it had got me one time. We go on vacations and we try to find rest. But can I assure you? That you can't find rest in simply going to the beach or going to some foreign land without finding rest in Christ. This is what he says in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened. And what will he give you? Rest. It's not your feet in the sand. 
It's not snorkeling with the sharks, which I will never do until I get the glory. <laughs> to God, to God, make t- sharks toothless. <laughs> Amen. Uh, but 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 this is the this is the reality for us because even the God of nationalism, thank you, sister. Even the God of nationalism, uh, uh, I must be sweating that bad. <laughs> I had an army of people. <laughs> Just throwing stuff at me. Lord have mercy. Uh, <laughs> the Bruce Leroy glow. <laughs> Amen. But but I'm going somewhere with this, saints, because even the God of nationalism and the God of tribalism has hijacked Christianity today. Because we can be Christians and legitimately try to tie to our political parties. It is not tied together. Whether you're independent, a Republican, or a Democrat, that does not mean you're a Christian. Uh, we see it in our we see it in our policy today, and that's why even when we prayed, we know that we are our hearts are broken because we see babies separated from their parents. It's not because we simply have an issue with immigration policy. It's because we see human beings. Even when it comes to the God of tribalism, and I'm talking directly to brothers and sisters who've been engaged with Hebrew Israelites or engaged with Moorish Temple science. These are urban mythologies that attack our communities on a day-to-day basis that we don't see read in literature, but they're gods in our communities that are actually causing our folks to think that there's somebody that they're not. They're treasured possession. They're kings and priests. See, when we say young kings, it's true. When we say holy nation, it's true. But when we put it in the context of tribalism, it's false. It's a God. Why is this important? The other thing I have for y'all, and I'm going to move on because of time, was moralistic therapeutic deism. That is something that's plaguing all of our young adults today. And one of the things that said God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life. It's a lowercase g, right? A God exists. But, it, but it's for my happiness. That's what it's for. It's for my benefit to, to do my own thing. That's what it's for. You're liberated so that you may live in Christ, not that you may have your own freedom. And this is the same thing as when I think about when it comes to... Taking marriage vows. When you know when you get to that part and you listen to the preacher, he says, and you will forsake all others and leave yourself only unto this person. You know the beauty of that? Is that when somebody roll up on sister so-and-so and she tried to talk to him. See, a lot of brothers try to talk to my wife and I got to let them know. <laughs> Better watch out. I said, I'm baptize you. <laughs> okay. But, but when I took that vow, and when I stand before couples and I give them that vow, it's so important because what they're saying is no matter who tries to come and, and, and woo me, no matter who tries and has the most, has more money or, or they, they have a little, they have something fancy, it, it, it won't allow me, no matter the circumstance, richer or poor. I ain't have a dime. My, my wife married me. I was already broke. But nobody else will be able to take her. This is the vow we're vowing to Jesus. Because he's justified us by what he's done on the cross. Nobody else can take us. And we must vow ourselves to him. But see, we don't do it on our own will. By our own volition. We do it by his spirit. 
That's why when we say no, no rival or no equal, there's nobody that can stand next to God. I want to invite our community group leaders and I want to invite our elders, pastors, deacons to come down to the front. And what I and the band, you go ahead and come too. And what I want us to do is if you have any idols in your life, anything that is competing for God, it's time. And the God of your life is, is wooing you over. I want you to come down and pray. I'm not concerned about your age either. You could be young. You could be old. You may be struggling though. There may be several temptations for you to go leave and do other things. Maybe temptations outside of this context like the God of addiction, the God of drinking, the God of, of, of pleasure. All of those things are, are wrestling for your time. Are wrestling for you. But it's a trick of the enemy. I want you to come down here and pray. Ask for prayer. Because this is the altar where God is saying that I finished it all so that you may be free and delivered. Therefore, worship me alone. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we we love you and we bless you. We thank you that you are a God who no rival, no equal can stand next to you. You have none. No one can stand next to you. But you are a God who continuously loves us in spite of our unfaithfulness. You are faithful to us. We thank you, Jesus, that we can bring our offerings, our tithes, but that we can also offer our worship and ourselves to you. For you pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.